0: It's a dog pound over here, yeah. The Arsenio Hall Show, and uh... <laughs> I've had way too much caffeine in the last uh <clears throat> sorry. Arsenio Hall Show, one of my favorite pieces in that show, where remember when he'd say, these are things that make you go... Very good, very good. This week, I got from my cousin, who I love, my cousin is just a stitch, and she sends out the best emails. I got uh, a series of pictures for things that make you go. So let's take a look at these different pictures. That's a good one, isn't it? It's one of those things though English didn't quite translate, you know? I, I cannot, I cannot for the life of me figure this one out, (laughs) what in the world, yeah, (laughs) this would definitely apply to my children, (laughs) this is great, (laughs) this is classic, illiterate, write, write, it doesn't just say get someone to write for you, it says write for free help, (laughs) nice, nice, I don't know if you can see it there, but that's actually taken in my front yard. That's a little inside joke with Carol and I. Now, if you can't read this, this up there, it says, I took this picture at Kennedy Space Center, and I could have sworn they were rocket scientists. No entry. So say no entry, yeah. <clears throat> Store closing, now hiring. Don't drink and drive. Said <laughs> that it? I think that's last one, yeah. <clears throat> now you're thinking, how is he going to take that and, and segue? And I don't know, I just had to show you those. There seriously are things that make me go, hmm, though with God. And, and, and I call my BQs big questions I have with God. And I I love BQs. If you got BQs, Hope Community Church is meant to be a place where you can process and think through your BQs. And whether you've been a follower of Christ uh, for a day, for a year, or whether you're here this morning and you're kicking the tires of Christianity. uh, You know what that means? I mean, like a car, a used car. I don't know why we kick tires, but you're, you're checking it out. You're not sure about this God thing. You're not sure about this Jesus thing, this Bible thing, church Uh, What does this all mean? Even if you're there, you've got BQs. Every one of you have BQs, and that's a good thing. One of my BQs, one of my biggest BQs is, God, why do you allow certain things to happen, even in my life or in the lives of others around us? Why do you let those things happen when you are the one who says you're my loving Father? It's a real hard question. And sometimes you have an intellectual answer to it, but you don't always have the easy emotional and experiential answer to that. You can know the answer. We'll, get, we'll talk about the answer, but you have to experience the answer over and over and over, and it's still one of my questions that I deal with. That is the question we're going to deal with this morning. That is the question as we're continuing in our series in Acts on this series called The Church on Fire. That's exactly what's going to happen to the church. Let me just back you up, give you a little bit of, hi- of, of where we've been so far. Um, the church has started. Jesus ascended. The church started by Peter preaching and many, many, many people. 3,000 in a day and then a couple more thousand and this thing just got out of hand. There were just people everywhere. And they met right on the temple grounds. I mean, it's a dangerous place to be, right on the temple grounds. And yet they kept meeting there day after day after day and they they saw their numbers grow and grow and grow. Well, finally they got to a point where they needed some organizational structure to one specific aspect of this new organization, the first church. And it was distributing food to widows, who at that time they were to be taken care of by the church. There wasn't any other government program or anything. They just had to be taken care of by the church. And so they formed this group of seven people, and these seven people were supposed to take care of them. One of those people was Stephen. Another one was Philip. We're going to meet Philip today a little bit. We'll meet him more next week and the week following. But uh, Stephen was one of those people. Stephen not only is involved in this food distribution thing, but he also is a part-time preacher and healer of people. It's just amazing. Peter, or excuse me, Stephen does these miracles and wonders and healing and they happen. God is still working in miraculous ways through the early church, and, and incredible things are happening. Stephen, some people are very upset with him, and so they bring these people to him and to, to oppose him. And first they try to debate him. But Stephen is too well versed in the Bible. And the debate doesn't work. And so they bring him before the Sanhedrin. Which is like they bring him to the religious court. And through that religious court they ask him some questions. And the questions, the charges against him are two. If you remember from last week. One, Stephen do you really reject Moses and all the teaching we have of the Old Testament? Do you reject that? And secondly, do you really reject the temple? This very site where you're standing, do you reject that as where God is and where God resides? And Stephen responds in one of the longest passages we've ever done in a single week here at Hope. 60 verses last week. Stephen responds basically by saying, and he gives all the history of Israel and quotes scripture passages. And the whole thing basically to saying, I'm not rejecting Moses. Moses predicted that Jesus was coming. I'm not rejecting him. Then he goes through history and shows through how many, many times people have rejected Moses even when they were there. They built a golden calf. They, re, they rejected him in the desert. They wouldn't go and be faithful to what the uh, what the spies said as they went out. And they, they said, we can take this land, or excuse me, two of the spies said we can take the land. The other ten were in fear. And they the whole crowd of Israelites said, we are going to react in fear and not trust God. And everybody rejected Moses, except Stephen and and, and those who were true followers of God. And so he says, I didn't reject Moses, you guys did. And then he says, I'm not rejecting the temple either. You guys are worshipping a building. I'm worshipping the God of the building. This makes them very mad. In fact, it it, it probably doesn't help matters at the very end of the thing he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. In other words, uh, circumcision was something you went through to, to show that you were part of the family, part of the covenant of God. And he says, you know what? Yeah, you may physically be circumcised, but your heart, not anywhere near it. This is, a, is you could write this down as a way to tick off religious rulers. Is This exactly what Stephen did. So they drag him outside and they pick up big hunks of rock, not like a stone. They think of stones, little stones. These are like big hunks of concrete. And they chuck it at Stephen and they kill him. And Stephen dies. Now, that is a dark moment. But cheer up, it's going to get worse. I want to look at this passage and I want to do two parallel things. I want to look historically what happened right after Stephen's death. The book of Acts changes after Stephen's death. From here on out... It is not going to be very safe to your health to be a Christian. Up until then, there were a few persecution type things. They were once beaten. They were arrested. They were, but the people were by and large for them. At Stephen's speech and at Stephen's death, things change. And from now on through the book of Acts, it is going to be hazardous to your health to be a follower of Jesus. Now, so I want to look historically what happens here, but I want to parallel it with what's going on, what goes on in you when you go through those kind of things. What goes on in you when you're going through a dark time? This is dark. You know, you might have been part of this movement and thought, oh, you know, God's God's for us. We can't be touched. And all of a sudden here you see this guy who's faithful to God and he's killed. So I want to talk about, I want to go through this passage and look at four different things, and I'm calling them four truths that will help you to get through the darkness of life. you want to look on your insert, you can do that, or you can just follow along on the screen, however you want to do it. I want to look through the next eight verses of Acts chapter 8. So if you want to flip your Bible there, or you can look on the screen, or however you want to do it, that's fine. We're just going to kind of go through these in four different chunks. Uh, first three verses, then we'll look at the last four verses as, a, as, a one, as one part. First thing, first verse. And Saul was there giving approval to his death. On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now I just want you to put yourself there if you possibly can. Here's this, you're part of this fledgling movement. You say you're new to it. You just, you just became part of it. And you're there, you're maybe outside uh, the temple courts where all this is happening, and you all of a sudden start to see chaos, and it says Saul was there giving approval to his death. We're going to meet Saul. Obviously, he's going to end up writing the majority of the New Testament. But at this point in time, he's not a follower of Jesus. He's going to change his name to Paul. I don't mean to give it away. Maybe you've already read the book of Acts. He's going to become one of the greatest greatest uh, followers of Christ and greatest proclaimers of the message, but at this point, he is not. At this point, he's doing whatever he can to trash Christians. He hates Christianity. He thinks it's a scab on the beauty of Israel, and he doesn't want anything to do with it. So Saul is there, this big shot, this religious ruler is there, and he's giving approval to people throwing rocks at this guy. Not only that, it gets darker. On that day, it says, great persecution broke out against the church. Done chaos. Chaos is happening. And so much so that it says that all everybody, except for the apostles, and I don't know if they went into hiding or what, it doesn't say, but everybody had to leave. Think about that for a second. On that day, persecution became so bad. It's like something happened right here, today, right now, and it would be such a big deal in the city that all of you would have to pack up and go. Just too heavy. Think about about having a small child, and they're trying to wonder, what are you doing quickly to get all your, your, your belongings together? And you put them on the donkey, and you go quickly to save your lives. It's, just, it's chaos. It's, it's, it's nuts. It's dark. This is a dark moment. If you're a follower of Christ at this moment, it's dark. But look at something kind of interesting. It says, in that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem and all, the, all of everybody except the apostles were scattered. And then it says throughout Judea and Samaria. Does that ring a bell for anybody? Say it again. I heard it. Any what? That should ring a bell. It. it yes. Acts one eight. What did, remember the last words that Jesus told his disciples? They asked him, "When are you going to set up the kingdom? When are you going to set up shop here in Israel? This is going to be great. We can't wait for the new kingdom." And and Jesus says in Acts 1.8, or Acts one seven and eight. Go ahead to that one, Rebecca. He says, um, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Did you hear that? And you'll be my witnesses witnesses in Jerusalem and then all Judea and Samaria, and then where? To the ends of the earth. Now, I don't know, and I've wondered about this, and I didn't talk about this when when we went through Acts 1.8. I have no idea if that's a promise, a prophecy, or a threat. I'm not sure. Jesus said it's going to happen. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There it is. No, go. flip back one. Flip back one there, Rebecca. Where were they scattered? What's that? Man, you guys are real. I can't hear you. Where are they scattered? Judea and Samaria. Where were they promised to go? Judea and Samaria. They're going to be scattered all over the place. God knows what he is doing. They were stuck in Jerusalem. They were having a party in the temple courts. And the Spirit said, spread out. Spread out. Spread the news all over the place. How are we going to do that? I know. We'll have one of the best guys in the movement die for the faith. And he gladly did it. Remember at the end of Stephen's life, he's looking up He says, I see the glory of God and Jesus sitting on his side. This is uh, sitting at the side of the Father. The, his last words were forgive these people if they don't know what they're doing. He gladly gave up his life for that. And what happens? The church scatters. Now, that's not just thrown in there. That, there's a link there. It's very important to know that God is 100% in control. He orchestrates things for his purposes. I don't claim to understand them all. And it's one of my BQs when they happen in my life. But you need to know that God knows what he's doing. He's worthy of being trusted. He's worthy of being trusted. Even and especially in your darkest moments. Truth number one is... God never wastes pain. If you believe it, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, just hear that. God never wastes pain. Ever. Listen to these passages. Romans 8.28. Maybe it's it's often quoted, maybe overquoted. I don't know if you can ever overquote scripture, but Romans 8.28 says, and we know that in all things, all things means all things. All things. All things that happen, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. God never wastes pain. Look at the If you skip a little bit down in Romans 8, starting in verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God never wastes pain. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help when in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. I don't know what your problems are like, but just think of that for a second. If you're just kind of hanging out and the earth is giving way and the mountains are falling into the heart of the sea, that's big problems. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. God never wastes pain. C.S. Lewis says that God speaks to us in our good times, but shouts to us in our pain. One thing I know, even this next week, to some degree you're going to go through pain. Some of you in this room, and I know I've talked with you, are going through very dark times very dark times. You need to know. Know it deep in your heart. God never wastes pain. He always uses it. And he uses it in your life. 1981, on the eve of President Reagan's inauguration, a missionary by the name of Chet Bitterman was abducted from, in Columbia. He was a Wycliffe um, translator. He was involved in what's called the Summer Institute of linguistics over in Colombia, He was there. He had made a prayer before he had went there when he was 28. He prayed, Lord, the tribe that's the most remote, the most difficult to reach because of its location and culture, the tribe no one else might select because of those reasons. Lord, if it's okay with you, that's my tribe. Remember we talked a few weeks ago about dangerous prayers? That's a dangerous prayer. God answers that prayer. He's abducted. January 19th, 1981. group called M19 uh, abducted him and they gave a note. And the note said this, Chet Bitterman will be executed unless the Summer Institute of Linguistics and all its members leave Columbia by 6 o'clock p.m. February 19th. Wycliffe and every mission agency all have policies on this. Every foreign agency has the same policy. You don't budge. And so they didn't budge. Brenda Bitterman and two little children, his wife, waited 48 days. On March 7th, the terrorist shot Chet Bitterman through the heart and left his body on a bus. The organization came to 100 missionaries in Wycliffe and they said, Obviously, this is a dangerous place for you to be. What do you want to do? All 100 said, we want to stay. And in fact, they had 200 applications to take Chet Bitterman's place. God never wastes pain. God uses it for his glory. Second thing, second verse. Godly men, in verse 2, now godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Now, this is after the persecution broke out, obviously. They're still there, and they give him a funeral. They buried him, and they mourned for him. Now, think about this for a second. Everything is going hunky-dory. Everything is going hunky-dory in your life here at the church. You're just part of it and you're having a great time at the temple courts you're meeting every day and oh boy we have such a great outreach program, we have such a great widow feeding program, we've got all the great programs here at this church and one loud mouth has to go off shooting his mouth I mean can you think of a more hot headed thing to, to say to the religious rulers than you stiff necked people, you uncircumcised hearts and minds what are you thinking Stephen what's wrong with you, there's always a couple hotheads who have to ruin it for everything right is that what they're thinking, no that's not what they're thinking. That's not what at least what the, the godly people here are thinking. It says, "Godly people buried Stephen in an honoring way, and then they did something else. They mourned for him. They mourned for him. That's interesting. It, says, it, even, it makes it very clear, no matter which translation of the Bible, you have some say devout people. Here's these people who are devout, they are godly, they're followers of God, they know that God is doing something here because they firmly believe point number one, truth number one, God never wastes pain, and yet they mourn, and I assume it says, it even mourn deeply. They were sobbing, they were uncontrollable, they missed the guy, they, they were sad. Truth number two. Truth number two is godly people recognize truth number one, yet mourn. Uh, When you're going through a dark time, whatever that dark time is, um, it's dark. I remember when I was in uh, fifth grade, for whatever reason, uh, fifth grade was a very, very difficult year for me. And I sometimes as a, uh, as a kid, you make bigger things than, than they are, and maybe I was doing that. But fifth grade, I distinctly recall um, my grandfather dying, and uh, my uh, class was, they were doing these experiments in education. Oh, man. Anyway, they had fifth and sixth graders in the same room, and there were about three or four bullies who liked to pick on us. But the bigger thing was my teacher was going through a a pretty severe depression right before our eyes. And so we're in fifth and sixth grade, and he would go to the teacher's lounge for a smoke for 20 minutes, half an hour. Okay, think about that. Fifth and sixth graders. At the time, it didn't seem like a big deal. But now I, I parent fifth and sixth grade kids. I mean, there's no way going to leave the, a group of them alone. I mean, you're going to burn the house down here, burn the school down. He would leave us for 20 to 30 minutes and then come back into the room and we had these, I distinctly recall, he, he had these real thick, heavy wood doors and he would leave it wide open and he would give that thing a swing and had no, re, had no uh, cushion on it whatsoever. And that door would go, boom! And, and he'd come in and he'd just start yelling at us. I mean, just, he'd be be spitting, he was so angry. And I thought he was going to, like, swing at us. That's, honestly, I mean, as a fifth grader, maybe you exaggerate in your own mind. Freaked me out. This guy freaked me out. And I remember talking to my dad about that. And he says, you know what? Someday you're going to look back on this and you'll laugh. And it was just funny because my dad was down here for my 40th birthday. And I said, Dad, I haven't laughed about that yet. When you're in the darkness, it's dark. And it'll always be dark. It's appropriate to mourn. It's appropriate. Third thing. Verse 3. But Saul, here's our buddy Saul again. <clears throat> they're mourning and, and, uh, and they bury Stephen and people are scattered everywhere. There's chaos. People are losing their homes. They're, they're losing their property. There's this utter chaos going on. Families are perhaps getting separated. And then it says, But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. (laughs) Saul is a piece of work. He is zealous to ruin this thing and to root it out. So what does he do? He goes from house to house and he finds people, I don't exactly know how he finds out they're followers of Christ but if they are in any way, shape or form, they're wearing a Chinese shirt that says Hope in China or something, they they grab them and they put them in prison. Truth number three is it usually gets darker before it gets lighter. It's already bad. It's already bad. But Saul is making it hugely worse. He's going from house to house. Truth number three, and this is very true, and this may be, this will be frustrating. When you felt like you've hit rock bottom in your struggle, and, and I'm not sure what the struggle would be. It could be a whole variety of different things. It could be employment. It could be a relationship that's not gone the way you wanted it to. It could just be life circumstances have left you. It could be health. I don't know. And there's times where where you feel like, God, okay, you got me exactly where you want me. I am at the proverbial end of my rope. And God says, oh, no, there's another 20 feet there at least. (laughs) And you're thinking, no way. No way. Now, now, Truth number four is written straight out of Hollywood. Truth number four is I- exactly almost every movie you see, at least for sure, every movie about athletics that you ever see. The underdog, two broken arms and a broken leg. Can he run the mile faster than everyone else, you know? <laughs> That's written by God. God loves the underdog. God loves things being in chaos. God loves that whole thing, not because he loves chaos, and not because he loves pain in your life. Let's read this, starting in verse 4. It says, those who had been scattered, (laughs) get this now, they preached the word wherever they went. Nice. Nice. Saul's thinking, I can get rid of these people. I'll just push them out. And instead, It's kind of like gangrene. It's just spreading all over your body. In in a good way, if you can make that be a good thing. But (laughs) it's it's spreading. Everywhere they were scattered, it says they preached the word wherever they went. Philip, one of the guys who was a contemporary of Stephen, he was one of the seven guys that was chosen to help out in this this, uh, widow food distribution. He went down to a, a city in Samaria. Stop right there. Samaria is Scumville. Samaria is the wrong side of the tracks. All right? Samaria, Jews and Samaritans did not get along. Philip says, I know. I'll go to them. He goes down there, and what does he do? He proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds and crowds are around Philip. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. That kind of goes without saying, right? Guy's doing miracles. It's like, what do you have to say? right? You just would. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. And check out this last verse. So there was great joy in that city. You see the contrast? What happens when they bury Stephen? Mourning. What happens as a result of it? Great joy in that, in that city. 1985 I was part of a summer training program is what they call them with the navigators and I went down to Indiana and uh, every weekend we were there I don't know six weeks something like that every weekend you did something special did all kinds of different things we had faith adventures we had uh, event uh, we went and, uh, oh man we did all kinds of things over the weekends well on our weekend that we had kind of designated as our big trip we thought we'd try to do something that would push us as a group beyond where we were comfortable beyond our comfort zone. At Hope, we like to talk about our comfort zone. That's like a circle. And then there's another circle, which is outside your comfort zone. We call this C1. C2 is outside your comfort zone. C3 is just terror. You know, like riding wild thing and all you want is for it to be over. Okay, we don't want to go there. But C2 is a healthy place to be. Outside your comfort zone. So that's what we're trying to do is get our our lives into uh, C2, outside our comfort zone. So we spent a night sleeping with homeless people. That's the first thing we did on Friday night. You know, what a great thing to do on a Friday night. Go downtown at the, the, the circle down there in Indianapolis and, uh, and, and sleep with homeless people and talk with them. And that was really eye-opening. Uh, they don't have any homes, so we slept on park benches. That's kind of a obvious thing. They don't have homes. But we uh, slept on park benches and, and hung out with them. And then on Saturday morning, we got up earlier. I guess you never really sleep well on a park bench. But we got into a car and, and went to these Indiana caves. And we went splunking. You know, splunking, you know, you go in the cave. And uh, there's two things that just still stick out to me from that. One was a flashlight and a map. Now, no one admitted it. No one admitted it. And I certainly wasn't going to say it. I'm claustrophobic. And I didn't really know it until you're about, oh, 45 minutes into this thing, of which we are going to spend 24 hours. And I get in there and we first go through a thing called the backbreakers. They're about this high and you go like this for it seems like, you know, I don't know, three, four hundred yards, and then you you go out everywhere else. And then there's a place where it just opens up into a whole bunch of different caves. And it's like, ah, ha 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 ha. See if you're claustrophobic, you want, Out! Out! And there is no out. There's no little exit sign, you know. It's just it's just dark. Dark, dark, you know, dark, 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 dark. Can't see anything. And I remember uh, one of the exercises we did for for kicks was we, kicks, yeah, these guys have death wishes. You know, I think one of the guys was really comfortable, and the rest of us were, ha, 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 ha. But he said, let's just leave our flashlights here and go for a little walk. (laughs) Now, when your flashlight is the only thing you can, the only way you see anything, you have like a death grip on that thing. I mean, just white knuckles. Sure, you can have it. Take it. You know, there's no way you're getting my flashlights. I don't know. Somehow he pried it out of my hands, and we put all the flashlights there, and he said, and he took a candle, and he lit the candle. That's all we had. We walked as far away from the candle as we felt comfortable, which for me was not, I could still slightly see the candle. Other guys actually went where we could just hear them. Oh, man, I'm just thinking. Now, ethically, do I have to go after you if you're in trouble, or... You kind of, does this go on to the I'm being stupid and so you're dead thing? And I can just say, hey, they were stupid, but I'm not going after you. We came out of there, and I will never forget going back through the backbreakers, And it's in the distance, and all of a sudden, boom, you see it. It's this glimmer of light. It's, you know, it's almost, when you've been in the dark for 24 hours, we had a sleeping bags, we slept there. It, it's almost, it hurts your eyes, it's so bright. And there you see it. And, you know, me being somewhat claustrophobic, and I also, there are people probably here who really have claustrophobia, and you could never do this, and I, I'm a borderline, you know, so, obviously, because I was in there. But even so, seeing that glimmer of light, your heart starts to pound. You start to think, oh my goodness. It's the real world. God is in control. God is in control. 100%. He never wastes pain. He never wastes pain. He will use it. And he will give you a glimmer of light. He will do that. That is for sure. Question I have you this morning is, are you allowing that pain and that darkness in your life, or whenever it comes, are you allowing it to be used of God to benefit you? Are you gonna take advantage of it, or are you just gonna wait till the light comes and then have hope? There's hope even in the darkness. Carol just is thinking of getting a uh, imp- increasing her hours at her work just enough, now it'll turn out that she'll have benefits. But you know that you, when you get benefits at work, they don't really kick in until you actually get them. They're there. You, you have benefits, but if you don't say, I want those, you don't get the benefit. She has to sign up for these benefits if she wants them. In fact, it's such that this thing is such that if you don't say it, you have to wait till the next January or whatever to get them. This benefit is here for you. God is there for you in the midst of the darkness. As you mourn, as you struggle, as things even get darker, God is there. Christ is just as much on the throne. He's just as much your Savior. He's just as much the one who's leading you as before. The question is, are you allowing yourself to say, Lord, I do not see it, but I trust you. I want you to turn my mourning, that mourning into great joy. Let's pray together. God, you are the master physician. You're the physician of our hearts. You're the one who knows exactly what you're doing. You know exactly how long each one of us needs to stay in the cave in order for you to do the work in our lives that is necessary so when we see that light, we'll have that great joy. God, I want to pray right now for people in this room who are in that cave and don't feel like they have a flashlight or anything. I just want to pray right now for them, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort them, that you would encourage them, that you would make them to be the type of people that you want them to be as a result of this pain. God, we know you don't waste pain, so use it, Lord. Use it. We don't want to have to go through it again. We want to learn what you want us to to learn as a result. God, we be people who know, though, that our God reigns and our God is the one who does bring light and brings joy in the midst of the pain. And We would never be ones who would shake our fist at you or demand of you that you remove the pain. God, I pray that the people in this room would take the benefit that they have of you being there in the midst of them. And Lord God, if it be your will, I pray that you would open that door you would show the end of the tunnel there, and you would let those who are in the darkness, even now, you'd let them see the light. God, by your Holy Spirit, if, if, if it's time, God, would you open it up even now, even as we worship? Would you just bring some light and revelation? Would you help hearts that are, that are calloused, God, right now, would be opened and, and see light? Would you let hearts that are fearful open up right now, God, right now? And will you let them see the light? God, would you let hearts that need to be convicted of sin to to see the light that there's no life in following that? There's no joy in that? Lord God, right now we just want to see you clearly and we want to commit ourselves to being ardent followers of you. Hold our hand, Lord, as we do this in Jesus' name.